times in your life where you admit you've got about the Devo train. Maybe some of you are there now. What I mean by that is a little inconsistent with your daily Bible reading. And someone may remind you or encourage you. You may see their example and maybe your pastor or your small group leader or a friend says, hey, what has God been teaching you in the Word? And you say, Sisters of Christ, right? There's a go-to passage. Well, we're going to a passage today that was my go-to passage as a kid. Okay, so for whatever reason, Matthew 24, you can grab your Bibles and open up there. Matthew 24 was that passage I was always drawn to as a kid, as a teenager. Matthew 24, if you look back at my old journals, you would read hilarious commentary on Matthew 24. Like you'd be like, that guy doesn't know anything about the Bible. Right? What do you want from me? I'm a job. Okay? I was learning. Right? So, uh, now as a pastor, I'm going to admit, that hasn't been a go-to for me as a pastor. Okay? There's the appropriate passage, and I just want to be honest about it, is a certain amount of excitement, a certain amount of expectation, and at the same time, a hesitancy. I don't know if I want to deal with the controversy and the myriad ways that people have interpreted this Bible passage forever. So a little bit of hesitation. A little bit of insecurity. But nonetheless, the Lord has brought us here. This is our go-to passage, Matthew 24. But before we go to this passage, it would be really important for us to go to even by way of just brief reminder, last week's passage. Go to Matthew 23. The context. If you remember, on, in seven woes, Jesus looked at the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, and said, you are guilty on all counts. Remember that from last week? Matthew 23. It created an urgent expectation. 
instrument of judgment on these leaders and upon the nation of Israel. And then, you talk about urgency, he ends the chapter in verse 36 by saying this, and imagine if you were there.
with the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Amen. Let's praise God. We ask that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. Reveal yourself to us. Teach us.
two questions. Are you asking two questions of the text? When will these things be? Now, again, context. These things are all these things that Jesus just talked about. They're in this text. They're also talking about the destruction of the temple. These things, not other things, these things. When? They want to know the timing. When is this going to happen to me? And they ask the question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They want to know. They want it. They want, they want details. They want an explanation. But if you really read it, especially as you think about the way that the disciples and many of the people of the day were approaching their understanding of the coming of the Messiah, this, this promised anointed king, how he would come and restore Israel to its former glory, its earthly kingdom, and eradicate Israel from all of its enemies. Okay, so understand this, that in their minds, the end of one earthly kingdom had to mean the beginning of another earthly kingdom. So they're really asking one question. When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? It's all one thing. It's one question for them. Because in their minds, the end of this age, the end of this earthly kingdom, Israel, judgment coming upon it, must mean the coming of Jesus immediately and in an earthly way to establish his rule and reign on earth. Do you see that? They can't disconnect the two. They're combined for now. And so they ask this question. In their minds, the end of one earthly kingdom means the immediate beginning of another earthly kingdom. So tell us, Jesus, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of this age? One question. So it's an answer. And so here we are. We begin this journey, chapter, uh, verse 4, all the way to the end, to the end of chapter 25. And we're going to be here for about six weeks. Are you surprised? We're going to be here for six weeks. We're going to be hearing the answer to Jesus' question for six weeks. And we've got a lot to get through today. But I'll tell you what, it would be an absolute disaster. It would be such a mistake if we don't at least, even in simple, concise form, understand the atrocious deceit of faith in interpreting his answer. I want to give you just a, a couple of frameworks to understand this, okay? Here it is. Are you ready? Some people read Jesus' answer, verse 4, all the way to the end of chapter 25, be fulfilled only into the future. That Jesus' answer is still TBD to be determined. These things haven't happened yet. We're still waiting for it to occur. It's all still TBD. Other people read the answer and they see the exact opposite. They say, this has all been fulfilled in the past. It's all fulfilled in the past. This has already happened. Right? The years from 30 A.D.-ish to 70 A.D.-ish, Josephus, a historian, record a ton of 
political upheaval, famine, war, persecution, tribulation, even a Roman general named Titus showing up in the Holy of Holies and trashing the temple, the Jewish temple in 70 AD. So as they read this, they go, oh, all of this has already happened. Right? So you understand, you have to go back to the future. No, Jesus hasn't come back yet. We're still waiting for all of this to take place. You have the other people say, no, no, no. Jesus said it, right? Verse 36 of 23 and verse 34 of 24. He already said, I tell you this, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. You see what's going on here? So what is it? Is it the future?
intentionality means that we're going to do everything that we can in this life, in this world, to anchor ourselves in the truth of the Word of God. Because Christ's Word says that in our life. And it anchor ourselves in it. To resist those attempting to lead us astray, we need to be anchored in the truth. The chapter of Ephesians 4.14 talks about this. Just so that you no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful lies and schemes. How? Just keep speaking up. Just speaking up is enough. And that's what we do together. That's what we're doing now. We're anchoring our lives in the truth by gathering for worship and doing the priest's work so that we're not led astray. Because we know that it's the truth that anchors us and keeps us and enables us to withstand the winds and the waves of every new idea and every new profession and every new claim to truth that's out there that attempts to lead us astray. Astray because of the devil's schemes. Later on, we're going to find intentional ways to anchor us in the truth. We're going to go to church. We're going to read our Bible. We're going to memorize scripture. We're going to be in a discipling relationship to minister the word to one another. We're going to back down a teenager who's caring so much on social media and at school. We're going to have a catechism class and start talking about catechism. It means teaching. Teaching. We're going to care about doctrine. I go on and on. That is the speech that no one needs to be afraid of. Responses. Kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Because we're such disciples, expect conflict, chaos, and the age of the world. Do you know what a conflicted, chaotic age? by all nations. 
to my nature. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And he says, lawlessness will be increased. Is that not the day in which we live? And what is that going to look like? Many will what? Go crazy.
plane from here to the end of the earth. That's what's going to happen. That's the expectation that you can have in this day. You think about what happened between 30 and, and, and 70 AD with Paul. Gets to Rome and defends his life and his ministry before the Roman Emperor. And how far it had gone in just 40 years, for the most part, the known world had heard the gospel, even in those 40 years. And you have to understand, there's so much more missionary activity. That, that missionary task of the church had continued to go on in the face of so much opposition, in the face of so much martyrdom. Death has continued to spread. And right now, missiologists say there are more Christians in the world now than there has ever been. It's hard for us to imagine that even now. But in the world, there are more Christians in, in the world than there's ever been in history. Why? Because we just expect, in the midst of all this, for the gospel to spread and to go forth, and that every man, woman, and child will say, a particular opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. That's what says about this. He says, the missionary preaching of the gospel to all the nations is, in fact, the outstanding and most, I, I, sorry, I didn't give you this, but, um, the outstanding and most characteristic sign of the times. And he goes on to say this, it gives its, pri- this present age, its primary meaning and purpose. And I love this. This is its primary of the gospel. That's the day in which you live. Isn't that amazing to think about? So what do we do? That's the expectation. What's the response? Here it is. Focus your life on the mission of proclaiming the gospel. That's what we do. That's why we're here. To proclaim missionary people with a message to the world. Jesus is alive. Jesus is king. He is the one who saves you from your most oppressive enemies. Trust in him. Respond to him. Be united to him. And receive the salvation that you need. That's our mission. That's our mission. Tell me all the things you love doing. All the blessings and privileges being an ambassador for Christ in the world, that one that heralds and proclaims the message, the saving message of the King, that you can be saved from Satan's sin and death by simply trusting in Jesus. That's our calling. That's our identity. That's our role. That's what we've always understood our role here at Renovation Church to be. That's why we planted a church in Baldwinville. Because we believe that primarily, as the people of God, we have a missionary task to give the gospel to every man, woman, and child 
because their soul depends on it, because judgment is coming, because Jesus is coming. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others.
Thank you. 